May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Today we're continuing in a series of sermons on prayer, and we're looking at the Lord's Prayer as a model or an outline for our own uh, prayer life. The Lord's Prayer gives us uh, topics, bullet points, if you will, to pray about. And so the hope and the prayer is that during this, especially this season of Lent, which is a time of renewal, spiritual renewal, that God would renew our prayer lives, not only individually but corporately, as we think about the things that Jesus taught us to pray about. And this morning we come to the fifth petition. This is a prayer uh, about forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's Matthew's version. That's Matthew 6, 12. Luke is slightly different. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And then the liturgy that we use is is again different uh, because we use a translation that William Tyndale used in the 16th century when he translated the English uh, the Bible into English and he used the word trespasses so that found its way into again this is 16th century England that found its way into the book of common prayer maybe next week we'll talk a little bit more about those words and the the different shades of meaning that each of these words have but this is a the the prayer the fifth petition is a prayer for uh, forgiveness there's a story that's, a, I think, a rabbinical story. I haven't verified this, but a teaching of uh, the Jewish rabbis that goes like this, that before God set about to create the world, he took a moment to look into the future. And there, as he looked into the future of his creation, he did see beauty and truth and goodness and joy. But he also saw a never-ending stream of human sin and misdeeds and misery called or caused by other people. He saw a trail of tears and blood. And so God, who is just and holy, thought to himself, I'm going to have to destroy the world I'm about to create. Why should I create just to destroy? And so according to this story, God decided even before he created the world that he would have to forgive the world in advance. In order for God who is holy and just, to have a relationship with the world he created, he has to give us the gift of forgiveness. That's the point of that story. Next week, I'm going to look at the second part of this fifth petition, which is the conditional statement, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That raises a lot of questions and it's a thorny issue just the concept of forgiving other people and how that's related to the fact that God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ so I'm going to set that aside for for next week I'm just going to deal with the first part of this petition so I hope I'm not being too tedious in this sermon series but I'm trying to drill down so that we can have some rich reflection when it comes to our prayer life I just want to focus on this first part in What Christ is teaching us here is that we need to make the prayer for 
forgiveness a regular part of our prayer life. Um, you could even say, as some scholars say, that this is connected to the previous petition, which is the prayer for daily bread. And scholars who know the language a lot better than I do, the original language, will say structurally, if you look at the Greek, uh, it, it's clear that there's a, there, there's a connection between the prayer for daily bread and this prayer for forgiveness. Just as we ought to ask daily for bread, for God's provision, we ought to ask daily for forgiveness. This is something, of course, that the Jews did each day. The Jewish prayers in Jesus' day and still today contain a petition for forgiveness. There's a, a, of course, the most familiar Jewish prayer, I think, to us is the Shema, the daily prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. It's kind of the creedal confession of prayer to God. But then there's also the prayer that the Jews pray through the weekdays, standing, the standing prayer. And it's a series of petitions. And the sixth petition is a prayer for forgiveness. It goes like this. Forgive us, God, for we have sinned. Blot out our mistakes before you, for great is your loving kindness. So this was part of Jewish prayer at the time of Jesus, and it's part of Jewish prayer today. The difference, of course, is that in Jesus Christ, we believe that this prayer for forgiveness has been answered fully in him. Jesus is the face of God's forgiveness. Jesus brings in a full way the forgiveness of God. When we look to Jesus, we can have assurance that we're forgiven. That's why I chose this gospel reading from Luke chapter 5. Jesus makes this shocking statement to the paralyzed man. Man, your sins are forgiven you. I've often wondered what the paralyzed man thought when Jesus said that at first. That's not what I'm here for. <laughs> Can't you see? My real need is to walk. But Jesus says, no, your real need, your deepest need, is the forgiveness of sins. You need to be right with your creator. You need to be in right relationship with him. Because sin is a spiritual disease that can lead to spiritual death and separation from God for all eternity. And so while Jesus looked on this man with compassion because of his physical pain, he knew his deepest need was the forgiveness of sins. And the teachers, the Pharisees, were taken back. They were aghast. Only God can forgive sins. This is blasphemy. These teachers had come from all over the region. Did you catch that? Not just a small portion. Jesus is getting very popular now. They're coming from all over, from great distances, to see what Jesus is going to do and say. And he makes this statement right in their presence. Uh, man, your sins are forgiven. They say only God can do that. This is blasphemy. And that's the point that Jesus is making. God is at work in him. He is God in the flesh. He is the son of God. And, and in order to demonstrate his authority to forgive sins, he displays his authority to heal the man physically. So his healing is a sign, and still today when we see God heal in the name of Jesus, it is a sign of the authority of Jesus Christ. That is to lead people to repentance and reconciliation to God through Christ. But Jesus brings the forgiveness of sins. 
He pronounces the forgiveness of sins. And at the cross, of course, he purchased in a full and complete way the forgiveness of sin. We looked this morning, we saw the reading from Genesis, the foundational covenant that God made with Abraham and with the people of Israel through Abraham. How was that covenant sustained? It was sustained through the sacrificial system. Because God is holy, God is just, and people rebel against God. And so in order to sustain that relationship, there had to be instituted a sacrificial system where the people of God were reminded constantly that God is much holier than you think, that sin is much more serious than you think, and that the forgiveness that God offers is very costly. But he's willing to do that because of his covenant love. And then Jesus, that all foreshadows the work of Jesus on the cross. And we celebrate that each Sunday at the Lord's table. This is the new covenant shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. So at the cross of Christ, Jesus pardons or or rather procures or purchases the forgiveness of our sins in a complete and full way. Hebrews 10.10, we have been sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. doesn't need to be another sacrifice. What we do at the Lord's table is not sacrificing Christ. We are remembering his sacrifice and we're communing with his his uh, offer of forgiveness and communion with his sacrificial death, but we're not re-sacrificing Christ on the altar. He died once and for all. His sacrifice is complete and sufficient. When we put our trust and faith in him, then we can be assured of his forgiveness. And so then that raises the question, if, if we have put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ and the work of the cross, why then this need for daily forgiveness. Why then this need to repent and and to kind of examine our life and and ask Christ again for forgiveness? It's already been purchased for us and we've put our trust. Hopefully all of us have already put our trust and when we do that we are made right in the eyes of God as we put our trust in the sacrifice of Christ. Well let me offer an analogy. Uh, It's not a perfect analogy from marriage but when Josie and I got married we made a promise to one another Covenant promises. We sealed that promise with a sign, rings, in the presence of witnesses. We promised that we would be faithful to one another until the very end, by the grace of God. And by the grace of God, we've been able to to live that out, only because of relying upon his grace. So we're secure in our relationship with one another. But there are strains in the relationship. There are times when walls go up. There, there are times when we have fights, of course, and arguments and squabbles, and the tension is high. And we've had to learn how to work through those things. When we first got married, it was difficult to learn to work through those fights. You know, I'm from a German family, German background, and you kind of keep your feelings to yourself. You sort of stuff your feelings and your emotions. Uh, my wife is from an Italian background. There's no stuffing there. 
unless it's peppers or something. But when it comes to emotions, there's no stuffing. And it just comes out. And so when we first got married, we had to learn how to deal with each other. I wanted to run away when we started fighting, and she would follow me down the hall because she was getting started. You know. <laughs> but in the midst of those fights, we don't say to one another, okay, we're done. Here's the ring, we're done. No, what we do is we take some time to cool off, we talk through the issues, and there has to be confession and forgiveness and reconciliation. The relationship, the promises that we made, sustain us in those difficult times. The tension is there, but the tension, the walls go up, but the walls come down through confession and repentance and forgiveness. And that, again, is, a, is a, just a small and perfect illustration of what the believer's relationship to God is like. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us is God's covenant promise of total forgiveness for his sons and daughters. And we can stand on this promise. When the guilt comes, when the condemnation comes, we go back to the cross and we look to the blood of Christ as the sign, the covenant sign of God's promise. But the unconfessed sin, the daily sin, constrain our relationship with God and put up a barrier. It can put a barrier up in, in, in our life in, in terms of what God wants to do in us and through us and how God wants to change us. And so that's where the daily confession comes in and self-examination before the Lord. In Psalm 51, David writes this great psalm that his, his greatest, probably penitential psalm, the one that's so familiar to us. And you know the background of that Psalm 51, right? It's when Nathan the prophet says it right there in the heading of Psalm 51. This is written when Nathan the prophet came to David after he had committed the sin with Bathsheba. It says it right there. David wrote that, or maybe later scribes wrote that heading to Psalm 51. This was written after David was confronted by Nathan the prophet that he was a great and grievous sinner. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered, arranged for his, him to be killed in order to cover it up. And in Psalm 51, we see kind of a, an uncovering of David's heart as he wrestles with this sin in the presence of God, before God, and how it's affected him and his relationship with God. And he says this in verse 11 and 12, "'Cast me not away, God, from your presence.'" Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. So have you ever sensed that in your own life, brothers and sisters, that the presence of God is getting farther and farther and farther away from you? There's a distance, there's a gap, there's a barrier. And the idea of the joy of salvation is just, a, is just something of a thought of yesteryear because there's no real joy in the Christian life. It seems drudgery and duty. Things have gotten stale. It could be because of unconfessed sin in our life. It could be that we've not taken the time in the presence of God to do exactly what David is doing in that psalm and saying, have mercy on me, O God. Cleanse me, renew me, restore me. 
Cleanse me and I will be clean. And that's what confession is about. It is looking to the cross of Christ and appropriating there, once again, the forgiveness of sins for our life now. There's another illustration of this point. Jesus in the upper room washing his disciples' feet. And he made this rather cryptic statement to Peter. This is John 13.10. The one who is bathed does not need to wash, he said. He's completely clean. This is after Peter protested and said, I don't want you to wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter, you know, blustery Peter says, okay, just give me a bath then. Not just my feet, but my head and my hands. Wash all of me. And Jesus says, the one who is bathed does not need to be washed. He is completely clean. And Jesus is referring once again to the cleansing work of the cross. His death is just about to take place. And he's saying to Peter, Peter, you are completely clean because of the sacrificial death that I'm about to go through for you. But that's not the entire quote. He says, the one who has bathed does not need to, be, does not need to wash. He's completely clean except for his feet. Again, kind of cryptic, but what is Jesus saying? The one who's bathed doesn't need a new bath when he showed up at a, at a dinner party, for example. But in those days, they wore sandals, the feet got dirty. A new bath was not necessary. A new washing, complete washing wasn't necessary, but a foot washing was in order. I think what Jesus is saying is that when we sin, we get our feet dirty, so to speak. We don't lose our salvation. God doesn't have to justify us again. That work is complete at the cross, but a cleansing is in order as we come to Christ and receive afresh his forgiving grace and mercy. John Calvin wrote this about the fifth petition. He says this, It pleases God to gradually restore his image in us. Gradually restore. Think of an image that's been smudged or a mirror that's been smudged. God is wanting to cleanse that gradually in our life. We are made in the image of God. Through sin, that image is marred and stained, and it pleases God to gradually restore that image. And the most necessary for, it is most necessary, Calvin goes on to say, for God to provide a remedy so that he can remove this stain, and daily confession is part of the remedy that God gives us. So, brothers and sisters, is this kind of petition a part of your regular prayer life? Self-examination, asking God to forgive you of your sins, and looking to the cross of Christ and knowing, yes, I've been cleansed, I've been pardoned. And through that, God is working and, and restoring his image in my life. Is that part of your regular prayer life? This is what Jesus is calling us to each day to pray for God's forgiveness another place in the psalm psalm 139 search me O god and see if there be any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way that's everlasting do do you pray that in your life search me O god and see if there's something there and the answer generally is yeah something we need to work on it's easy sometimes to just say god forgive me of my sins Things I've done, things I haven't done, forgive me. I fall into that pattern sometimes. This Lenten season, I think God is asking me to slow that down. This is a penitential season. And to take some extra time and to really let him 
put the searchlight on my life. We can kind of throw all of our sins in a pile and say, this is the big, ugly mess, sin, and just forgive it all, cover it all. But what I think God wants us to do sometimes is to reach into the pile and take it out and say, this is what I'm talking about, God. This anger that I sometimes express to my wife or my children, this is the sin I need forgiveness for. This, this lust, this pride, this criticism, this envy, this jealousy. Sometimes God wants us to name the sin, not as a way for us to grovel in guilt, but to hear him say again afresh, okay, this is why I came. To cover that, to wash you, to restore you, and to help you grow in grace. So that is not such an essential part of who you are, restoring the image of God in us. That happens, one of the ways it happens is through this discipline of confession. So we are taught by the Lord Jesus to pray this each day. As we come to the Lord's table today, let me just suggest that at some point, whether it's before you approach the table or afterwards, or any in, in, in time in between that, uh, just to remember again that this was Christ shed for you, his, bo- his, his, bloody, his, his body given for you, his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And perhaps in your mind or even verbally, name a sin. Thank you, God, for forgiving me of whatever it is. And believe that he's done it and cleansed you. God is calling some people back to himself today through this grace of forgiveness and repentance. Let's pray. Restore unto us, O God, the joy of our salvation. Take not thy Holy Spirit from us. Search us, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in us. And lead us in your everlasting way. Lord Jesus, you have the authority to forgive sin. You have the power to heal and to restore. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, you have the power to restore the image of God that's been marred in our life. And so we come and trust in you and that work. Do that work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.